Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. So today for episode 304, I have now recovered from COVID. I'm still in Sri Lanka for the rest of the month and I recorded with Knut Svanholm. So he is a Bitcoin writer and he's been writing and talking about various ideas such as this idea that you are not ready and that none of us are ready, that we cannot be ready for what's coming with Bitcoin. And of course, we get into our disagreement about the infinity meme. Now, I, I personally don't think it's correct, but Knut mounts a defense in this episode of the meme. So I'll leave that to you to decide what you think. Now, this show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to accumulate Bitcoin with automatic recurring buys. And Swan also offers what's called smash buys. So if you've got a friend who is new to Bitcoin, swanbitcoin.com is the place to send them. It's really fast to set up. It's cheap to automate. And there's a definite focus on education. And that was part of why I wanted to join the team as well, because I knew that there is a need in this space to have a Bitcoin-only on-ramp that's actually genuinely a great place to send your pre-coiner and new-coiner friends. And if they are a high net worth or a corporate or a business, we've got Swan Private. So Swan Private allows one-on-one access to a dedicated Bitcoin account expert who will help that person get them onboarded. So send your friends to swanbitcoin.com slash Levera. Lend at HODL HODL is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can borrow or lend out stablecoins globally and anonymously using Bitcoin as collateral. So with Lend at HODL HODL, you no longer need to sell your Bitcoin to get some short-term liquidity. You can borrow stablecoins against your Bitcoin and you still control your collateral in escrow throughout that whole deal. Stablecoin owners can earn some extra interest by lending their stablecoins out and you define the terms and the APR for that deal. HODL HODL's lending platform is currently going through a major upgrade with many improvements to be made available by the end of the month. So go and sign up at lend.hodlhodl.com with the promo code SEPTEMBER to get a 50% discount on the platform's origination fee once the lending functionality is available again. If you've ever been interested in getting involved with Bitcoin mining, Compass Mining can help you out. If you go to compassmining.io, you can start your journey there where you select an ASIC and they've got different machines available. At the moment, they've got ant miners available and they've also got a bundle deal available also. So you can select your ASIC machine there and you can select a hosting facility that has already been vetted by the Compass Mining team. Then it's a matter of you selecting which mining pool and joining that that pool and then finally you'll receive bitcoin your machines will be hashing and your mining and payouts are sent to your wallet from your mining pool so this is a great way to get started you can access industrial power rates and facilities that have already been vetted by the compass mining team it's a great way to get started so go to compassmining.io now on to the show with knut knut welcome to the show thank you stefan been been wanting to speak to you for a while yeah, it has been one of those ones. I've been trying to make it happen for a little while, but just things kept coming up. And you know, now I'm in Sri Lanka yeah. and the time came and I was uh, excited to get to chat with you about Bitcoin and various aspects of it. And of course, we'll have to get into this infinity over 21 million at some <laughs> point as well, uh, which yeah. I'm sure we'll get to that later. Let's just start with a little bit about you. I know you've been, obviously, you're, you're a writer in the Bitcoin space, you're a speaker and You've also been interested in Austrian economics as well. So why don't we start there? Yeah, we, we have a lot in common. Like you're a singer too. I'm, I used to be a singer or I am a singer in a way. I, I guess you don't stop being a singer. And uh, <laughs> speaking of Sri Lanka, my, my parents always told me I was conceived there. <laughs> they oh, went really? To, on, 
on a honeymoon to Sri, to Sri Lanka in 1976. So, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and I'm uh, libertarian leaning, uh, and uh, you know, argue from first principles and don't believe that anyone should have a, a right to to more violence than anyone else, just as you. And uh, I'm interested in been interested in Austrian economics and Bitcoin for quite a while. So. Uh, yeah. So we're we're almost the same person. <laughs> Did you start with Austrian economics before you got into Bitcoin? Were you like that or were you the other way around? I think I was Austro curious maybe before before Bitcoin. But I but before Bitcoin I couldn't really I didn't have a coherent picture of uh, what was wrong with the world and why. I I I knew that something was wrong but I couldn't really get it through my head. Bitcoin came along and st- things started to make more sense and started to become a bit more depressing, of course. <laughs> uh, uh, and then I, I read the Bitcoin standard uh, almost at the same time as I was writing my book. And uh, that got me, got me going quite a bit as well. And uh, when I finally read Human Action, that's like the nail on the head. That's uh, like the most life-changing book I've ever read, I think, and the best book I ever read. So if you haven't read... Uh, uh, Human Action by Ludwig von Mises, do so. It only takes about 38 hours. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, people throw a lot of shade about these uh, so-called thousand-page tomes, but really, once you've gone through it, it makes a huge difference. And look, for people who maybe they're not ready to go through the, you know, whatever, 900 pages or however much it is, if you start with something like Bob Murphy's book, Choice, which is like yep. a a modern short form version of that. Of course, you know, the best best is to go and actually read human action yourself as well. Yep. But and that's something I often recommend for people who are maybe they just need something that can step stepping stone them into the pathway of uh, reading about these things. Because I think it really is. There are a lot of things that the Austrians got that get right. That they, and it's only the Austrians who can explain that coherently. Exactly. And uh I think also um, Anatomy of the State by Rothbard is a short, concise book that helps a lot, that could help a lot of Absolutely, notes. yeah, yeah. And so it's there's a range of different, I guess, topics and themes that you can draw from. And so in the Austrian uh, canon, if you will, there's the books that are more economics-based. And so, I mean, Austrian economics meant is meant to be wertfrei. It's meant to be value-free. It's meant to just be, it's a statement of the yeah. economics. But then... There is also the more political philosophy elements of it, and that's the more libertarian aspects of it, where there's the Austrian economics aspects of it. And sometimes people can mesh them without understanding where they're different and where they actually mix together. And so, but I can understand why, because it's often many of the same people, right? It's the same people making these these different arguments, and they tend to hold both views, that they are an Austrian in terms of how they view economics, but they are also a libertarian in terms of how they view political philosophy and rights and the question of, you know, are rights, do they, do we, are we given the rights by the state or do they exist antecedent or do they exist outside of that? Or perhaps it's a natural rights, natural law approach or other approaches that libertarians take. Yeah. I I had a conversation with Robert Breedlove about this and he came up with a brilliant sentence that praxeology is to the subjective what mathematics is to the object. That's that's a a good way of framing it, I think, uh, because 
praxeology is the great missing school subject, which like arguing from first principles explains why people do stuff at all and why it's best to let people do stuff non-violently violently with each other. That's the best the, the best way of like for human progress in general and for human for maximizing human well-being, if you will. Right. Yeah. And I can understand where people get confused because you might be thinking like as an example it's possible to be an austrian economist who is not a libertarian right you might yeah you know you might theoretically again it's unlikely but you might think that this is the most efficient way but you might not necessarily take the libertarian aspect of it but uh, yeah look in practice to that point uh, they tend to be the same person right that, that makes me think of a, a um a famous moment in Ludwig von Mises' life where he, he was ha- having a meeting in a fancy hotel with all these other thinkers like Milton Friedman and Murray Rothbard and everyone, and he called, <laughs> and Hayek and everyone, and called them all, uh, you're all socialists, and, and yeah. uh, ran out of the room because, because they, he, he feel that, uh, felt that they didn't really understand him. By the way, I was listening to your debate with Peter McCormack about libertarianism. And uh, yeah. uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot, but I was frustrated by one thing, and that is how uh, when arguing about, and this is, happens all the time, when you argue about a free market uh, versus a, a, an interventionist market or a, a, like another political system, we, we often forget that a, a truly free market has never, n- never really existed. That's, that's the thing. People say that wasn't real communism, but the thing is, that wasn't real capitalism. Real capitalism hasn't been tried yet because before Bitcoin, we've had we've have never had a truly sound money and not on a global scale. And that that's that changes the playing field enormously. So it's like when I argue for for libertarian principles, I I always try to push the Bitcoin narrative into the equation because without that, you can't really it can't really work in reality, in my view, because every other currency will always be inflationary because no human can resist the t- temptation of diluting the money supply. Right. Yeah. And I'm with you there. I think it's just, it's hard for us to make that argument to people because we're rightly having to point out to them, Hey, let's go live in this world. That's never, it's never happened before. Right. And so. No, no, it's, it's very hard. There's nothing to compare it to. That, that's where I think in practice, you end up having to point to real world examples. And even if they're imperfect, you can sort of point to that and say, oh, look, see, notice how these aspects of this society that existed before, even if it's imperfect, that could show an example of why a free market would do something better than, say, the statist approach, right? I mean, that's just... Yeah, 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 yeah. It was not meant as a critique on uh, of your arguments, because I, I do agree with them. And I do agree that there are examples, you have to draw a uh, examples from from real life and uh, and like from what actually happened but 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 what, what is so hard to explain is is that uh, we're approaching a completely new set of rules and uh, that has never been tried before and that that will sh- truly show people the power of the free market because i believe bitcoin will, will benefit everyone I go uh, uh, more the more people that go on a bitcoin standard and like hyper bitcoinize themselves the better it is for not only the bitcoin hodlers but for everyone because the the mechanisms that it allows for will, will make production costs and transportation co- uh, costs drop so rapidly that it, it benefits absolutely everyone even those that never even heard of bitcoin yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. And I think this is one of those ones where it's difficult to explain because 
it's like we've lived all of our lives under a fiat inflationary world where the costs are rising over time. And so what does it mean to live in a world where we're living in growth deflation, right? And so someone yep. like Jeff Booth does a good job at helping put that in a pop, you know, in like a pop economics way for people who maybe if they haven't gone and read, you know, Mises and Rothbard and Guido Hulsman and Philip Vargas and other people reading The Price of Tomorrow might give them a clue as to what kind of world that might be like. Because even even for those of us like who are into Austrian economics, it could be hard to visualize really what would that world look like? Because in some ways to think about what it would be to have like sustained prices falling is, is quite a weird and mind bending yeah. uh, idea in that way. I think it's impossible for human beings in general. Like people have such a hard time uh, understanding exponentials. Uh, we're wired to think in linear terms and like, we're we're so used to the fiat system. What what that is is that we're used to being robbed every second of every day of something like a, a small piece of a, a small theft of of our belongings and our time uh, is happening every every second of every day to everyone, uh, and like removing that from the equation uh, will will like not not only relieve people of of that that particular uh bad thing that's happening to them but but also it will uh like make the, all these misallocations of of resources go go away uh more rapidly like because what what inf- interventionist economies ultimately lead to is the misallocation of resources resources don't end up where people want them actually want them to end up but they end up where some bureaucrat want them wants them to end up, and uh, that like hampers the the entire machine because like the the, the free market. I view the the a sound money f- global free market economy. That's like the only defense we as humans have against the rise of AI. This is our uh, this is our uh, artificial intelligence, if if you want, uh, or like our collective intelligence uh, we can only utilize uh, all of our brain powers uh, you know combined power via the free market that's that's the the weapon we have against the robots <laughs> does that make sense <laughs> although i mean you could say that uh, you know the more the free market might bring about a more ai might bring about a lot more use of ai and i, th- I think this is one of those things where even absolutely you know that could yeah. that could be a bad i mean even just setting Bitcoin aside, right? That could just be an example just there where, you know, and I think this is also another thing where we have to, where we, I'm often careful to explain things because I'm often trying to teach people, don't think of it like it's like some utopian thing. It's better, but it's nope. not perfect, you know? <laughs> and yeah, bad things could still and will still happen under the total free market world, right? Uh, absolutely. Um, but then again, I good things beyond our imagination could also happen yeah like we don't know how how powerful it could be because we've never experienced it before we, we've seen uh like uh similar experiments like the rise of hong kong for instance the last 50 years before before the police state t- took it away uh, again but uh what happened during those 50 years was uh like 
progress that no human could have foreseen. And and this the the, the potential. I try to be an optimist. Uh, so uh, and I, I think there's a there are rational ar- arguments for being optimistic even in a, in the world we live in, because things turn out often turn out better than we believe that they will. Also, we shouldn't forget that, especially not in these dark police statey uh, times. <laughs> That's right. With the you know governments of. Some governments have literally never been more powerful than they are now, right? In terms of their surveillance no. capability, their capability to control the way people think. In some ways, yeah. they're able to control a lot of things about how you know the masses think about things, the messaging they receive. It is uh, very confronting in that way. Uh, but of course, I also do believe you know Bitcoin is going to fix a lot of these things. But it's it's about how do we get to that longer term vision? Because in that short and medium term, we still have to make it there. And so there's still going to be all sorts yeah. of uh, drama on the way to get there. It is problematic, isn't it? And I yeah, I, I have to uh, tell you a story about when I flew home from Mexico. I was in Mexico about a month ago to, uh, at the Bitcoin Standard Conference. And when I flew home, the, like the Southeast Asians were, were wearing masks on in airports like 10 years ago, right? So they, they sort of like started the trend and made it like uh, after a while you didn't notice it anymore. It became sort of a natural thing. And then overnight, the entire world wears masks when they fly. And when I flew back, I, th- I saw three Southeast Asian guys in full hazmat suits on the plane. <laughs> Is that next? <laughs> and I thought like, it, it, like, what are you doing, guys? Was it, didn't you learn anything from the mask thing? Are you really going to push things, <laughs> push things this far? <laughs> like, but I don't know if, uh, yeah, I, I don't know even know if their ethnicity had something to do with it. That's that's not the point. But I, I mean, of course not. It's uh, uh, wh- why trying to push the narrative even further in that direction. Can't you see what's happening here? Don't Some people are panicked, right? Yeah, they Some are. Some people are just that panicked. Yeah, they're so scared. And that's that's the real shame for for a lot of the a lot of this stuff is just they have been put into such a ridiculous state of hysteria that they will do anything. And so that also is an interesting question because it's like where do we where do you see that going longer term or at least in the sort call it short to medium term for freedoms and liberties in the world today? Now, part of the answer, I think, is going overseas, getting to other countries and other jurisdictions and having that competition um, that hopefully that will enable people who want freedom, Bitcoiners typically, and others who who want that freedom to try to get some of that. But I'm wondering, do you have any thoughts on where that's going? Uh, Yeah, I I think it might go two different ways because there there are... Different countries have had very different approaches to this. Australia and Sweden are two very good examples of that. And and <laughs> I think history will evaluate, like the future will evaluate what happened historically. And at some point, uh, I, I believe the mask 
all these mask mandates and everything, they might actually go away someday because people are so fed up with it. And there are protests everywhere. So there is a lot of pressure on the politicians to stop the madness also. We shouldn't forget that. So it might end naturally. I know most Bitcoiners or most Bitcoins, many Bitcoiners think that we're we're heading towards more and more police state things and more and more dystopian. And that might also happen. But... Uh, uh, and if that happens, that will like push things like Bitcoin and uh, uh, alternative ways of life uh, further. Push push those things even faster into the future. Like like flag theory, for instance, more and more people will get a second passport and try to bypass things by doing Bitcoin and by uh, uh, getting on tour and like using not using the main social media platforms anymore but alternative ones and everything so so there there's there's a perk to to things getting darker as well because because it fuels the uh the fire of of those of us that that want to to get out of it but then again i think uh, governments can go too far and there's uh, there's like a signal from the people there too so there might be Trudeau for instance like the next election in in Canada maybe he he gets voted out of office and you get someone that is against all these uh, mandates and and all of a sudden Canada is back to sort of normal again uh, I don't know who knows right uh, yeah it's hard to predict the future of course yeah i mean one challenge is that some of these government programs, once put in, they don't get taken away. Or as the famous Milton no, Friedman says, there's no such thing. Uh, there's no <laughs> no thing is as temporary as permanent as a temporary government program. Or even uh, if which you is look a, at, yeah, you know, war on terror, war on drugs, war on you know, you name it. How yeah. how long these things have gone? But that's one side, and then the other counterbalancing side is the competitive pressure because people will leave if, yeah. if things get really bad. And to that point, I, I really uh, like that because uh, Friedman also talks about how institutions, once in place, uh, fight for their own survival f- first and foremost. And those institutions that don't, don't survive very long. It's an evolutionary process. So so bureaucrats tend to find ways of, of uh, uh, motivating their own existence. Uh, and this is a very bad thing, uh, of course. But but then again, there are some con- counterexamples in history, like the fall of the Soviet Union is uh, one of my favorites. It 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 just dissipated and yeah, disappeared basically. Uh, uh, say with East Germany, just disappeared. Uh, what happened over time with East Germany and West Germany, though, is that. Uh, some of the West Germans uh, heard the stories from East Germany. Oh, like you have to pay for kindergarten here. We never had to pay for kindergarten. Uh, you you have to pay for healthcare. We never had to pay for healthcare. Uh, so the West Germans started to vote for socialist policies <laughs> because they forgot why why they shouldn't in the first place. So in the long run, uh, the 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 ironic thing might be that the fall of the Berlin Wall makes makes Germany more and more socialist again. And so there's a balance there somewhere, I think. And uh, uh, was it Reagan that said that we're only one generation away from losing our freedoms at all times? And I believe that to be very true, uh, that if if we want to to live in in free states or semi-free states, at least, where where you can at least express your opinion, you need to fight for it every generation. It's a good thing to teach your kids. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think it also does come into the whole conversation around homeschooling, unschooling and things, this this way of uh, trying to educate the next generation without having so much influence from the statists, obviously, who want to push things in a certain direction. And then those of us who actually want freedom have to push back the other way and actually do something yeah. about it. Yeah, we, we should at least if you if you don't homeschool your kids at least tell them what's wrong with the schooling system <laughs> like at least give them give them a clue to why why they shouldn't listen to everything their teacher says and why they should question everything because <laughs> th- that's the basis of it I mean, knowledge comes from first and foremost from cu- curiosity and if you're not curious you you, you don't get anywhere yeah yeah there's a lot of things in this whole theme of preparing for a hyper bitcoinized world and trying to either either to prepare for it or to try and uh, ready yourself so that you're well equipped to make it there right to make it yeah. through that shorter medium term and so i think you've you've written on this kind of topic as well i think you've written um a piece called yeah. you are not prepared or you are not ready yeah 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 uh, no so quite a while back now but but there's something to that yeah yeah. yeah, so I guess if you had to summarize that for people who are maybe they are more of a new coiner, they're, they're not really as familiar, what's this idea? Why are they not ready? Uh, because Bitcoin's value increases on average by 200% per year. Right now, it looks like the, the, curve, the long-term curve is sort of leveling off, but that might not be the case. It might be an exponential curve that, that has the shape of a weird s like this or like Mm -hmm. a j shape or whatever because one so so we don't know uh how much how much bitcoin's price will go up over time but like simple game theory and the fact that its supply is limited should tell us something about that the price will go up over time and uh, as i've stated on many other pods and in a in a video and an article is like i believe Network te- technologies always, almost always have an S-shaped adoption curve if they're successful, right? So there's like a Heinz catch-up moment where everyone starts to get on board and then there's a steep rise and it levels out again when the entire planet is on board. It happened to the TV, the radio, uh, Facebook and Google and so on. Uh, uh, and I believe that could happen to Bitcoin too, but the price of Bitcoin is, will follow a very different path because there's a lot more money and a lot more things in the world than there are people so you once the entire uh, human race is on board and has some bitcoin there's no reason for them to stop buying bitcoin and uh, hyper bitcoinization like the definition of the term is when every other monetary asset is has been converted to bitcoin so bitcoin is the only money we have but it doesn't stop there either because once we're fully hyper bitcoinized we live in a sound money um free market global economy without interventionism which is such a, uh, a <laughs> it's a v- much much better uh, system for organizing human effort and human action uh, across both time and space uh, and that in turn will make prices go down even faster than they do now and uh, prices of production and prices of tra- transportation everything going down at enormous speeds and the uh, which means that the purchasing power of a bitcoin can only go up uh, faster after that point 
And of course, I don't know if I'm right about this or not, but uh, this is ties into the you are not prepared thing. Is anyone really prepared for two more zeros at the end of the value of Bitcoin? So like, <laughs> uh, what is that? Like $5 million per Bitcoin instead of $50,000? Right. Is anyone yeah, yeah. really prepared for that? Because I, I mean, just... I mean, you probably hundred a hundred x your your uh, dollars worth in Bitcoin. I don't know how many Bitcoin you have. I don't care, <laughs> and uh, but but I know you've been in the space for a long time. So and people who've been in the space for a long time and who've understood that hodling is the best tactic because very few people can trade better than two hundred percent per year increase, right? So. So if you have you have a compound interest which makes it, you you probably at least a hundred x your initial position uh, nominated in dollars, uh, uh, which means if that happens again, <laughs> you if you put in one dollar you you would and your hundred x and your hundred x you would for every dollar you put in in like two thousand and fourteen, fast forward to two thousand and twenty five. Every single dollar might be worth a uh, hundred thousand dollars. So if you, put, <laughs> well, the, the math is is pr pretty simple, and I I think no one is really prepared for a hundred x gains in anything. So, and when that happens, are you uh, <laughs> the, the the thing people should ask themselves is like, do I really own my Bitcoin? Uh, do I really control my private keys? What third parties am I trusting? Uh, am I is this really private? And all of these things, all of these questions. As as you know, the more you learn about it, the the more the more you ask yourself these questions. And uh, <laughs> I, I recently quit my fiat job just because uh, I I feel I don't have enough time for for the Bitcoin stuff. I I need to do this. I'm I'm having a front row seat to the future, and I I really need to. To grab this opportunity while I can, and uh, not only not only this type of thing, but but also learning more about about how to become more self sovereign, and uh, it's it's a journey definitely worth taking, I believe, for for everyone sooner or later. Right, I see. Yeah, so I guess I broadly agree with the idea, right? And I think many people in the space have been talking about this. I, the earliest I recall is someone like, say, James D'Angelo of, uh, I think, in around 2013 or 14, he was talking a similar kind of un concept of like this S-curve adoption and what would it look like on the price. And that really, as you zoom out, it, it just what looks like a big, big move when, as you zoom out is really not that much of a big move. Although I think my estimate of where things are going to go is it, it does have to taper off. It has to taper down at some point. I think, yes, it's true that, uh, you know, if you were to look at the, uh, you know, casebitcoin.com and you look at the CAGR stats, like right now, the 10-year CAGR stat is something like 144%, something like that. But I, I think it will taper down over time. But in terms of longer term, where what kind of ballpark are we talking? So as um, as I'm sure you know, Hal Finney put out that number, and I think that was in like the first week. He put out that number of ten million dollars per coin, and I think something, let's say ballpark, something in that ten to twenty million dollars per coin US, you know, in purchasing power terms, obviously, because by then it will have inflated a, a lot. Yeah. I, I but, think that is totally reasonable. And but, then, uh, quite yeah. The question on. then, do you think it will have like a 2% deflation from that point and sort of a linear thing? Yeah, so if at, I had to at, guess. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, what I would say is once we get to kind of that sort of not Plateau. really terminal value, but you know what I'm saying, call mm-hmm. it something in that range, it might then settle down into something like 5% per year or something yeah. like that. You know, it might kind of, that might be the kind of longer term, call it, uh, you know, growth rate. But what if I'm right here <laughs> and it doesn't settle down, but it speeds up? Because I mean, I, it's, yeah. I, I, and I, I don't where, know. I, where does I, yeah. it end? Because I don't see an end point. If, 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 if we have the most effective system ever produced, and as you say, it might fuel the AI re- revolution in ways we can't imagine, so, so, so that you have uh, a deflation rate that, that increases year by year. So, so because I, I, I believe very few things in, in life are linear. <laughs> uh, and stuff that has to do with value and markets and stuff, that, that's never linear, right? And if you if you have an absolute finite supply of bitcoins, and they are lost every day, some someone is bound to lose. the The more users you have, the more people there are that are uh, that lose their bitcoin per day. So you have a, a, even a shrinking supply, uh, a, a larger user base, a more productive society, decreasing prices. Uh, all the vectors here point to there not being a point where it levels out and settles on a price. Back to the show in a moment after a word for the sponsors. CoinKite.com are the creators of my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet, the Cold Card. This is one of the most recommended hardware wallets by Bitcoiners. Now, NVK and the team are looking at NFC transactions as a new way to do air-gapped Bitcoin transactions in addition to the standard micro SD pathway that you can do it right now. So for people who are worried or maybe you're just sitting on a phone wallet and you're looking to upgrade, cold card is a great choice. You can upgrade and this will be a really solid hardware wallet choice that you can use. And there's lots of guides online. If you go to coinkite.com and you'll see lots of documentation and guides right there and you can use it with wallets like Spectre Desktop, Sparrow, Blue Wallet or Electrum to do air-gapped transactions. It's also got an address explorer, which is a really cool feature. So you can verify your receive address right on the device. It's got all sorts of features. So go and get yours, order it at coinkite.com and use the code Lavera for a discount. Now, don't forget about backups for your Bitcoin. Could you recover your Bitcoin if something happened? Well, this is where the Cypher grid comes in from cyphersafe.io. This is the best value in the industry. You get everything you need for $59. It will be two brass plates for all 24 seed words and you basically stamp in your words using the automatic center punch that's provided you get uh, a tamper evidence seal provided also so that you can know that somebody's you know not looked at your seed you can lock it with a padlock and just like all cypher safe products this one is going to be water waterproof rust proof and fireproof so you can make sure that you or your loved ones can access your coins if something happens to you or if your house goes up on fire so go to cyphersafe.io and use code lavera to order yours Now, have you thought about multi-signature? As number goes up, it is time for all of us to really start thinking more seriously about these things and removing our single points of failure. Now, Unchained can make it easy for you to do this because they've got collaborative custody. They hold one key for you and you hold two keys. So you can go and get two different hardware wallets and set this up on the unchained-capital.com website. Or on the other hand, if you need a hand, they've got a concierge service. So they can help you get onboarded even if you've never held your private keys before. So they will do a video call with you and get you set up and ship you the hardware walls if you need them. 
and also deposit some Bitcoin in your vault so you can actually have some real practice of holding Bitcoin in your own vault. So if you're interested in this, go to unchanged-capital.com slash concierge and use the code Levera to order yours. Back to the show. Who knows? I think of it like it will reach a point where like once we've hit that saturation, right now, yeah. a lot of it is being driven just by just the mere fact that we're so early, right? We are yeah, 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 right. one or two now percent. We have, yeah, you know, exactly. Of so, the world. So, yeah. And so there's still huge, huge, you know, up, um, you know, gains to come. And I yeah. think that's pretty uncontroversial amongst Bitcoiners. But I think yeah. the point about would it settle down to a something like five or ten percent and don't forget that would still be an exponential growth rate right just at you know five yeah, or ten yeah, percent yeah. every year Basically, right compounded, compounded every year yeah yeah, compounded interest. yeah, yeah i know i lot. know like once yeah. we're talking about global adoption that would be massive uh because even today countries like developed countries might be doing two or three percent you know it's yeah, like yeah. a good thing if they can do three percent that yeah, now yeah. in fairness that's kind of measuring gdp growth which is you know not yeah the best gdp anyway. is a very good measure yeah yeah it's not a, it's like there are various austrian critiques of the gdp metric so yes. that's a fair point and i think you and i and probably many listeners would agree with that point yeah um but you know if it were to say five or ten percent per year and we're getting you know like i think that's that would still be an incredible growth rate um and it would it would yeah and but i guess it also comes down to that question of which things do you think bitcoin eat right and perhaps this also gets into this whole conversation of infinity divided by 21 million right now we're getting somewhere stefan right right? now we're getting into the meaty stuff yeah because (laughs) this is where i think it's fair to say bitcoin would eat a lot of the bond market Mm -hmm. Uh, i think a lot of the debt market will be gone uh a lot of the property as in like physical you know property market a lot of that has been blown up by the fiat bubble so to speak but i do see definitely a big value and a big role still to be played by equity as a concept in general you know there'll still be a lot of companies um who you know they need to equity as their method of capitalization as their method of funding Explain equity to me like I'm five, please. You own a share in a company. Yeah, you, you, own, own, a, you own a share a in a company. Okay. You own a parcel so, of a company. All right. So you have uh, the, the argument against that is that uh, what is the most saleable good in the world? Uh, it's it's money, right? The, by definition, right. money is the most saleable good in the world, uh, which should be the the thing that people want the most. And that, doesn't that include the equity as well? I mean, even if you had a company that seemed really, really good at what they do and they had really really good progress wouldn't you want like a perfect money instead wouldn't that be even worth even more to you considering that that money would represent not only that company but every other company in the world and their progress as well so so wouldn't the equity market shrink to zero over time in a in a sound money world i don't think so reason being eventually right as part of that tapering off that we're talking about so instead of you know 100 percent per year or whatever it is it's going to tape it down and at some point there will be companies who outperform bitcoin right now it's very hard for a company to outrun bitcoin over the long run very few companies have ever even achieved this incredible feat but so call it 10 15 20 years from now in that world it would be quite common it would be quite commonplace for companies to outrun bitcoin returns and what we're talking about here is like the growth deflationary benefit that you call you get just for simply hodling Uh -uh. and there'd be companies who are outperforming that 
because they, as an example, just to throw random numbers, let's say the growth deflation number for Bitcoin is 5%, right? Your purchasing power growth is 5%. And yeah. there might be companies doing 15 or 20% in that world. Uh, I would I would even argue that in a hyper Bitcoinized world, only companies that outperform Bitcoin would survive because there would be no point to running a company that wouldn't outperform Bitcoin. Maybe, but I mean, I could, I could see it like maybe there are some things that you, you want a company structure that maybe somebody doesn't have enough equity yet. And so that's where they're using equity capital to maybe sell a portion or a parcel of the company uh, to be able to run their different endeavors, right? Because it comes down to why, why does the firm exist? Why does, you know, why do we have these things? Yeah, yeah. And in some cases, it's, it's because there's like, a, there's a genuine market need for why these things exist. It's not that, uh, I mean, I, I see it like, yes, money is the most saleable commodity, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the most, that's the only thing you want to hold. Uh, no, no. And I'll give you another example. Even in a world where you know that was fixed people's demand to hold money can change right so as an example yeah, if there yeah. was a big natural disaster your desire to hold money in that time period is a lot higher your demand to hold money versus other things is higher at that time and so even on that basis the value the relative valuation of bitcoin would change and so I guess for me, the way when I say I don't agree with the infinity over 21 million meme, for me, it's more that I think it's think of it this way. If you think from an accounting perspective, it is quite feasible that and I mentioned this in uh, episode 296 with Safety as well. It's this idea I that, okay, to that. Yeah. So just for anyone who hasn't heard that episode, the point would be, let's say just assuming for the, to make the numbers easy, say there's 21 million Bitcoins. I view it like it's possible for global wealth. And it, it's not just possible, it's very likely that the global net worth would be greater than 21 million. And that's not a problem per se. No, no, it just no. means that the accounting valuations, if you add up all the yeah. property and all the stocks in the world, yeah. that it adds up to more than 21 million, right? As yes. an example, it could be 60 million Bitcoins worth of global wealth but only 21 million Bitcoins. And yeah, so but that here you is get why into, I disagree. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I remember that. Thoughts. And I heard that argument on the, uh, for, for, uh, you get into some philosophical arguments here. Like if you have, if you had a, a society with only one good, say one property, and it costed the entire sum of the money supply uh, of that society, would the total sum of that uh, society's uh, worth be the money and the house or just the house? Uh, well, one is measured by another. The other, right? I, I think, because I've I, I heard think it the, kind of breaks down when you have just one good, though. Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. But 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 I've heard the argument that it's actually infinity divided by uh, forty-two million because it's it's the worth of all the Bitcoin plus the worth of all the things. <laughs> and I don't really buy that because the Bitcoins in themselves wouldn't have value if there was nothing of value to buy for them, right? And and to, to, to your point, the, the thing with the equation is like it was never meant to be dissected. It was just meant to be a, a, a meme <laughs> because it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's meant to be a reflection of the that there's no upper limit to where the price of Bitcoin can go. That that's that's what that that's what it's supposed to do because mathematically the equation is useless because infinity divided by anything is infinity, right? So so it makes no absolutely no sense the equation. So it was never intended from my side to be anything else than like a a uh, a wake up call for people that look at this thing. It either goes to zero, which is very unlikely, or it's it, it never stops growing in purchasing power. It never stops going up. It's very binary. There's only 
either it fails or it doesn't fail, which means that it, it goes up over time indefinitely. So that's what the equation was supposed to mean. But but I do get the uh, the critique uh, and that there 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 might be more things of value than there than there is money in the world and that that ties back for me it ties back even further to back to Austrian economics and more philosophical things like there are things that are more valuable to people that than money could ever buy. The the Mona Lisa doesn't have a price. They they offered ABBA uh, one billion dollars to to go on a con on a tour uh, ten years back, and they said no, and they're doing it now instead because they they want to, and not because they wanted the money, because they didn't feel they needed the money. So of course, value is a subjective thing. So so regardless of how you you try to attach an equation to uh, to value. You you can never you can never really measure it and like uh, not even with Bitcoin it's still it's like the best ruler we have for it but it's still incomplete because value is something you create in your head and you know this of course since you're uh, into Austrian economics and I think that that's that's the whole misinterpretation of the whole thing I'm trying to put an equation on something that can't be put an equation on. Uh, but the equations, the the purpose of the equation was just to to trigger a thought process in people's heads, and it seems to have uh, succeeded at that. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, I think for me, I just see it like uh, maybe I, maybe I'm just being silly, but I just to me, it just I, I just it just to me it it, let, it sends people down a, a weird pathway. Now, I, I agree with you. I think in. <laughs> In this sense, I agree with you in the sense that a lot of people have not really deeply thought through the idea of growth deflation, right? Of holding a, a money in which it's we're living in a growth deflationary world. Now, that is a very astounding concept, and that is a very you know worthwhile thing to think about. But there's all these other little things that come to it, and I think I, I'm just sort of careful that people don't go barking up the wrong tree in terms of thinking like, oh, money is a measuring rod. It's not. No. Um, oh, uh, you know, the, all the world's wealth has to be contained within the amount of money supply no. that we have. It doesn't. No. Uh, it's So those are just my, I guess, my critiques of it. Uh, and yeah, also yeah. Uh, just this idea that I, like, it just makes sense to me that the world's productivity growth has to taper. Like it's not just going to be doing like 100%. Yeah. No, you know? no, no. But I mean, the, that part I could be wrong. You know, it, the, like, theoretically, this, this, you know. I think yeah. this part of the rabbit hole is 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 a better discussion for us too because this might be where we differ because I'm not entirely sure you might be right it might taper off it's it's likely because nothing's inf- nothing has infinite growth right and everything uh, but what what if for like the next ten thousand years it doesn't taper off. <laughs> Because, well, then, yeah, you would. I mean, uh, let's say yeah, that like, happens, like, you'd be right. Like, yeah. like say, say you have a five percent deflation the first year, a six percent the year after that, a seven percent the year after. So that it's not even just compound interest, but an increasing compound interest. Right. It's so like compounding really, at an accelerating really, rate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, that that's the scenario that I I believe people can't really get into their heads because it it might not be likely, but it's still possible for that to be like maybe not for ten thousand years, but for a hundred years, it's not that hard to think that it, that that might last for a hundred years. I mean, we've had inflationary currencies for like forever, so uh, which is like two thousand years in in human thinking, which is not forever, by the way. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, and 
what that has led me to, my latest thought on this is that Bitcoin is already the best store of value ever, ever discovered. Uh, that's obvious once you understand it. It is very quickly becoming the uh, the best medium of exchange ever invented uh, via the Lightning Network. People buying burgers in, in El Salvador for no fees at all whatsoever, instantly. Uh, but the thing I'm very unsure of is the unit of account thing. Be- because it, if, it, if it keeps on being volatile and if it keeps on like uh, in this uh, J-shaped scenario uh, described previously, uh, it, it wouldn't really function as a unit of account. Not even in a world with like five, as you say, is that uh, tapers off with a 5% per year increase. Uh, it would be very difficult to use SATs uh, as a unit of account because price, we have to remember that stable prices is the fantasy. That's the artificial thing. That's what fiat currencies do. They they artificially increases the increase the prices of everything. So it looks that the prices are stable when they're really not, because all the production costs have gone down and all the transportation costs have gone down, and you can't really see how full you've been, because the the paying for paying for anything, everything gets cheaper over time, right? So if you have a um, satoshis as the unit of account. How do you live in a world where every day the which is like the inverse of a hyperinflating world? It's a hyperbitcoinizing world where where prices like drop faster and faster every day. So it's impossible to to plan ahead for the future because hyperinflation. Uh, <laughs> one I mean, like by deflation. Divi- yeah, yeah, maybe one, I, I one divided like by this, hyperinflation. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So I guess what you would be saying is we'd be growing so quickly that it would just be like it would be hard to find your feet almost because things would get so cheap so quickly. No, what, you wouldn't what, even what know saying, how quickly you could yeah, buy things. What, you know? what I'm saying is that it might be easier to use a more stable, if you will, unit of account like kilowatt hours or liters of milk or whatever, something something other than sats, because sats will will not be stable. They can't be. I don't know. I, I just see it like it's going to be unstable, but people are just going to use Sats anyway. You know, think they're just going to be getting very rich very quickly, and their purchasing power is going to be shooting up. Uh, and but here's the other thing: there's all these other factors that we could layer on. One example: demographics. Right? Yeah. I could say to you, okay, Knut, you know, I'm okay. Say so I'm I'm in my you know 30s now. Let's say 40 years from now or 50 years from now, I'm towards the end of my life. Let's say I'm in my 80s. Let's say my average expect you know life expectancy, whatever, you know, 80 something. Right? Uh, I'm not going to live forever. I might at some point want to spend more. And so even that would change the way things are because let's say after all those years, I, I think, okay, look, I'm not going to yeah, live yeah. forever. I'm going to start spending and whether that it could be on some big grand projects to leave yeah. so that people remember my name or whatever it is. And I start spending some of my stash down. You know, that's that's an example where a lot of new coins would come into the economy and there'd be other, you know, old you know, hodlers who are spending some coins or yeah, whatever. That's that's happening right now. Like the the number of wallet users with one Bitcoin or less is going up. The, the number of mm. uh, users with 100,000 Bitcoin or more is, is decreasing. So it is distributing wealth, which I find very fascinating. Yeah. But I guess uh, the, point I, is, the point is that that could also impact the quote-unquote growth deflation aspects of it because every time some person with a lot of coins is spending a lot of those coins and putting yeah, them back get, out into the economy. Yeah, get some liquidity, yeah. And it would then 
that could counteract against this idea of massive, massive growth every, you know, because yeah, it, they're, they're spending yeah, some down, in, right? In a way, it, well, uh, not over time since the supply is absolutely limited. Right. Uh, so but, it, it matters how many more people are trying to accumulate versus how many people are trying to spend at that given point in time. You know, if a lot of people are trying yeah. to spend and not as many people are trying to accumulate, well, then that does depress the uh, of course. power. Of course, yeah. that's how markets work, right? So, uh, but uh, I was thinking about another point. Yeah, the, the point of, like, if you look even in uh, El Salvador at this point in time, uh, people are uh, people are not... Uh, using sats as the unit of account they're using dollars everything is priced in dollars still uh and because it's easier it's it's a better unit of account at this point in time and i think something like the dollar that like remember that the gold standard the the only reason that gold was a good form of money was that it's it's had an inflation rate that was reflecting the inflation, the deflation rate of everything else, right? So, uh, so, so, go, or the, like how how uh, how many more goods and services were in the the? It reflected the expanding economy. The 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 gold expanded at almost the same rate, so prices in denominated in gold could stay uh, the same over long periods of time. But that's not what Bitcoin does. Bitcoin is not gold. It's something completely different. It's absolutely finite, absolutely scarce. We have never encountered that before. So I, I think we should be humble when making predictions. Uh, I should be humble making my J-shaped prediction, of course, because it's it's outlandish. But even like people who think it will tamper off should also be humble <laughs> because we don't know if it will tamper off ever. We, we can't really predict that because we've never seen a, a commodity like this before. And that's that. That sort of ties into what what the uh, what I'm trying to do with the everything divided by twenty one million equation, like fuck with people's brain, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so, if uh, most people are not ready, what are some of the mistakes that you see people making, uh, and how should how should people be thinking about it if they don't want to make a mistake on the path to hyper Bitcoinization? Uh, the first thing is get off zero. Uh, and that's the most most important lesson for most people. Like, get off zero. Uh, you shouldn't own zero Bitcoin. You should own some Bitcoin. And uh, and then just wait. And at some point in time, those Bitcoins will be the 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 lion's share of your net worth, <laughs> regardless of how rich you are at this point. At some point in time, those Bitcoins will be worth more than you are. <laughs> Or than your total <laughs> total net worth at this moment, and at that point, it will be much less uh, profitable to use violence against you to get your uh, to get your money. It will be much more profitable to provide you with something of value to get some satoshis in return. And this is the the most beautiful aspect of Bitcoin. It it like. Uh, it makes violence a lot le less effective on every level of society. I mean, you you can threaten me and threaten my family and take all my Bitcoin and uh, good for you, you did. But that wasn't all my Bitcoin. That was like a thousand of them. You can't know how many Bitcoins I have. No one can know how many Bitcoins another person ha has. <laughs> so, so it makes violence a lot less effective. <laughs> because, yeah. 
yeah, I don't need to go into that any further. Yeah, for sure. What, yeah, what, so I, I think I've lost the question. Was there a question there? Oh, somewhere? I was just saying, what are some I of the common, the I guess, mistakes that you could see people making along the way because they are not ready? And so I think in most cases, it would be people, as you mentioned, firstly, not not owning any Bitcoin or not holding, not hodling any. And no. then the other one, obviously, would be people who are perhaps spending too quickly or spending too, uh, you know, before, yeah, yeah. before they've kind of really let, uh, let Bitcoin grow to the level that uh, we all believe it will go to. That's, that's sort of part of the learning process, right? Uh, dabbling with shitcoinery and losing, uh, seeing, seeing five years later how much that lunch you paid for in Bitcoin is actually worth today is a very, very good lesson. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, so that comes naturally. So, but the th first thing is get off zero. The second thing is don't spend them. <laughs> the third thing would would be, or, or maybe the second thing, are they actually yours? Do you hold your own private keys? Because it's a very important thing, and this is, has been a mantra among Bitcoiners for forever. You know, not your keys, not your Bitcoin, and the, it's still true. And then, of course, you get into all the other steps, like. Uh, should you store them in some other way? Should you do multi-sig? Should you, are, are you technically competent enough to do this or that? Should you like, uh, should you run your own full node? Should you, um, should you do this and that? Should you coin join? Should you, are you, are you actually in the driver's seat of this thing or not? And there are so many layers to that and so much to learn. So I, I think no one, uh, I mean, it's not trustless. Uh, uh, you have to trust uh, a lot, lot fewer uh, uh, third parties, but there's always some trust involved. Like you have to trust hardware manufacturers. You have to trust. There's always some trust involved, and uh, depending on where you are and on your Bitcoin hodlings, you you should like adapt to that and like okay, I have this many Bitcoins. They're worth this and this much now. Now I need to go to the next step. Now I need to learn how to do this and how to do that. So hope yeah. that answers the question. Yeah, yeah. I think these are just lessons and things that people have to think about. And of course, I think one tip that people could take on as well is just to feel that urgency of stacking. Because yeah. when you are first new, everyone, basically all of us regret not stacking harder when we could have in the yeah. earlier, in whenever your earlier days of Bitcoin were for you or for whoever, uh, that's a common thing. So yeah, but again, that's related to that idea of everyone buys Bitcoin at the price they deserve. Well, everyone gets that sense of urgency to stack sats at the price they deserve as well. But I, that's also probably an important lesson for people out there. If you're a relatively new Bitcoiner or you're new to this, then just keep in mind that you want to have your automated stacking plan and you want to be stack, stack, stacking uh, and regularly accumulating because you'll, you'll regret it. In a year or two, you'll look back and think, oh, wow, I, I missed out on so many sats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I have very few regrets regarding my Bitcoin journey, really. I, I lost uh, the staggering amount of $10 on trading shitcoins. Uh, $1 <laughs> in each of 10, 10 different shitcoins. And I saw quite quickly that two of them were going up in relation to Bitcoin, the other eight were going down. And I thought, I can never figure out which one is going up and which one is going down. I, I don't have the time or the patience or like the luck necessary to do this. And like diversifying the basket is just, it's, go, it's going to be a net loss. So, so yeah. that, that, that lesson was easy and it didn't cost me that much.
uh, and I've been a maximalist ever since, of course. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so uh, I have very few regrets, even even though I've given away Bitcoin and like I should have stacked more at some point. Everyone has those thoughts. But if, if you truly grasp this thing, you, you know also that it's never too late and it's never too late to start stacking. It's never too late to, to like do something with it. And uh, a, a, a good resource to start with would be your course on uh, sailor.org, right? That's Bitcoin yeah. for beginners. Yeah. 10 hours. Bitcoin of for knowledge. everybody. Yeah. That's like Morpheus uh, training Neo uh, type course, you know. <laughs> but by the well, way there's, there's only so much you can do but yeah but by the way there's no way that we won't be disappointed by the next uh, matrix movie right <laughs> yeah way. it looks pretty bad to be honest uh, uh, but, hey we'll see we'll see right uh, um, unless unless gigi had something to do with the script i'm sure i will be disappointed <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Gigi's great. If uh, Gigi was involved, I'm sure it would be a fantastic movie. But unfortunately, I, I don't think they got Gigi involved. <laughs> no, don't worry. We'll have to. There'll be um like Bitcoiner remakes, right? They'll go back and take these terrible movies and remake them yeah. in good ways. So yeah, the, you know, the memes, uh, what the memes will be fantastic. <laughs> that's it. That's okay. right. So, yeah, look, I think that's probably a good spot to finish up there, Knut. Um, let's uh, finish up and give give the listeners, if you've got any closing thoughts for them, and, of course, where can they find you online? Uh, most of my Bitcoin stuff is still on Twitter. I'm at Knut Swanon on Twitter. Uh, I also have an author page on uh, Amazon, amazon.com slash author slash Knut Swanholm. I have a Patreon as well, uh, if anyone is interested in that, now that I'm trying to support myself only doing this Bitcoin philosophy stuff. And, uh, well, that's about it. Well, uh, yeah, well, I've made a bunch of videos with Yoni Appleberg and Guy Swan, and you can find them on YouTube. Just uh, just search for Knut Swanholm and uh, I'll, I'll bet you'll find them there. Or search for everything divided by 21 million. Uh, I share the the playlist quite often on Twitter as well, uh, shilling them. And, Excellent. Uh, yeah, I'm very proud of them. Uh, those videos. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah. Look, we we can take our, our disagreement about the infinity meme and put them to the side. But uh, thanks very much for joining me today, Knut. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think we disagree that much, and I, I'm looking forward to continue this discussion in real life someday, Stefan. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Get the show notes and the transcripts over at stefanlevera.com slash 304 for this episode. Thanks, and I'll see you in the Citadels.